I was going to say something to you, Michael, and then I realized the mic was on. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that counts. The first thing I write on my notes is say something witty. So that will uh, that'll suffice. So I think <clears throat> I'm not kidding. It's right there. Um, if things hold true, probably last week, Mitch was uh, in in great anticipation. And ten years plus of being built up of never having gone to Disney World, and today he's probably hoping that he never has to go back uh, after a week there. Maybe. Uh, I'm Nathan. If you don't know me, and uh, I do this every now and then, but I, I'm fairly inexperienced, and I guess that shows in that once I'm here, I have no concept of time whatsoever. So I also wrote down time. And I think we're going to be all right. Um, it's just kind of a weird process to me. I, I don't know how it is for other folks, but I kind of uh, I prepare, and I, I never really have a gauge for how long it's going to take to say these things. Sometimes it goes really quickly, uh, and sometimes maybe it doesn't. I don't, to be honest, I don't really ever know how long it takes me once I'm done. Um, so, all that to say, I have more notes than normal. It might not mean anything. Uh, it might mean something. All the football I cared about was played yesterday. Uh, so I have no kickoff. To get to, um, let me let me just begin by praying. God, thank you for uh, today and this chance to be gathered together with um, our family and with other believers. Um, I ask that in this time your truth would be proclaimed, that you would uh, remove me from the equation, you'd settle nerves, um, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear what you have to say, and that you would be lifted up. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we're going to look at a passage in Joshua. It's the first nine verses of the book. Um, so you can turn there. We'll read it um, here in just a minute. There's, there's kind of some introductory matters that I want to talk about uh, in, in leading up to that and just kind of about where this book fits within the canon of Scripture. Uh, it comes after the Pentateuch, and it, it is in a section of books, kind of Joshua through Second Kings with the exception of Ruth. Uh, that are sometimes called historical books, and some scholars refer to them as um, the former prophets. So I think both of those titles do it some justice uh, in that it's, it's sort of a, a, a historical prophecy, if that, if that makes sense. Uh, so the recording, uh, the events in Joshua are historical, but the intent in the recording is not for us to have um, purely a historical record of facts, but for us to see God's redemptive work in the life of Israel through these events. And so it's with that lens that the author penned it. Um, You'll find if you read the book that uh, there's great detail given to some events and not others. And all that is in an effort uh, to demonstrate God's work. And so um, that's kind of the book that we're we're dealing in. Um, And you've got to consider, as with any, I guess this is a Bible study note, with any scripture that you're looking at, you've got to consider context. So... uh, You've got to consider what came before Joshua, and the great thing about studying Scripture is we know what happens in the whole book of Joshua, we know what comes after, and so uh, in our examination of a passage, it's always best to consider kind of what are the bookends, what's happening on either end of that. Um, so our, our looking at this today, we want to consider Joshua within uh, the larger picture of Israel, um, and Israel kind of within the larger picture of God's redemptive work in mankind. Uh, I... It seems like it always comes up. I guess there are things that uh, that jump out to me, but 
the the idea of a narrative and of approaching life through the lens of narrative is one that uh, just continues to ring true with me and, and um, seems fitting as an approach, um, I guess, a lens by which we look at our own life. Uh, you know, we all we've all lived a story from birth. Uh, our stories are all different. They have highs and they have lows. Um, and through each of those, through all that stuff, God is there and he's constant. And, and if we can look look at our life in that sense, I think we find that the lows sometimes aren't as low uh, or that they're not without reason. We find that the highs aren't of our own accord, but it's of uh, it's God allowing us to experience his goodness in a pleasant way. Uh, and so as we move forward with our story, um, looking back at what we've already lived in that context, maybe gives us some hope and some promise uh, with which to um, to live out uh, at least the parts of the story that we don't know yet uh, and trust that they are known by the um, the divine author that, that pins all of life. Um, so as we examine the passage today, um, as it relates to you, um, think through your life as a story. And what is it in Joshua's story um, that, that God has to speak to you? So the passage is Joshua 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. And all of my ESV versions are on computers and things like that. So I'm going to read out of NAS. Um, but I think it's, it's fairly close. So it says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving you, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Just as I spoke to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from the right or from the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that, the law may be caref- so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So this is, uh, the book is Joshua, but if you look back in the Pentateuch, you see Joshua's name mentioned. Uh, and so I kind of ran through and uh, as I approached this, I thought, or I asked myself, what do I want, what do I know about Joshua to this point? And so very quickly, if you were to, to do a quick survey uh, of places that he's mentioned, in Exodus 17, we see that he's uh, Moses' assistant. In Exodus 24, uh, we see that he ascends Mount Sinai with Moses to receive the Ten Commandments. Uh, and then coming down from that in Exodus 32, he witnesses the disobedience of Israel. Uh, when Moses would go into the tent of meetings and uh, the cloud would cover the door, uh, Joshua was inside the tent with, uh, with Moses. He demonstrated, uh, he was sent by Moses as, a, as one of the spies in the group uh, to go into the promised land and kind of see what, uh, what was there. And he was uh, one of two spies that came back and gave a favorable, favorable report that said, you know what? Um, the God will deliver this to us 
we can do it, where everyone else uh, was fearful of what they had seen and said it was, uh, it was a lost cause. And um, in Numbers 26, he's told that he would, uh, he would be allowed to enter the promised land. In the next chapter, he's named as Moses' successor. In Deuteronomy 1, uh, he is said to, to have wholly followed the Lord. In Deuteronomy 31, he's commissioned by Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, he's said to be full of the spirit of wisdom. So he's portrayed as someone who's consistently faithful to the Lord, uh, one who's dutifully served as Moses' assistant uh, without want of more power or authority. You don't see him um, being discontent with the role in which God's placed him. He just kind of does his thing. Uh, he has remained, uh, he's recognized and remained hopeful in Yahweh's faithfulness to Israel, and he's one who believes in and trusts the promises of God. Uh, so ultimately... Uh, we see him as one who holds a proper view of God, recognizes God's work among his people, uh, and understands his own role within that and the role that God has tasked him with. Uh, I think it'd be easy to say, to kind of take this stepping stone approach and say, oh, it, that, that's a great model of leadership, isn't it? He was Moses' assistant, uh, and then he was prepared, and then it was kind of his his time to be the, the boss. Um, kind of like a lot of times people say, you, you have to start as a youth minister, and then eventually, once you're good enough, then you'll be a pastor. And I think to, to hold that view of Joshua is a disservice, um, both to God's work in his life, but also to the role that he played prior to leading the people of Israel. Um, because had he not ever been the leader uh, of Israel, he still was faithful to whatever it was that God was calling him to do. So each step of the way, uh, he demonstrated faithfulness. And I think that's um, the takeaway for me, I guess, um, in looking at, at him up to this point. So each step of the way, he's lived faithfully the role that God has asked of him. Uh, and I thought, you know, if we're ever to be tasked with a heavy load, then it is true that we've got to demonstrate our faithfulness to a light load. And I don't even like the words heavy and light because it seems to carry with it a connotation of significance. Uh, and the reality is there's no, there are no menial tasks in the service of God, right? Regardless of, uh, of where it seems to be in a pecking order um, on earth, if God has called you to do it, then it's a worthy task. Um, that said, the reality is that often uh, our fulfillment of one set of responsibilities or of one role prepares us for something that God has for us uh, later in life. And no doubt that was the case with Joshua. Um, his, his service as Moses' assistant um, and service to God that way prepared him um, definitely to lead the people of Israel in their conquest of the promised land. So as we move through the passage, there are themes that are repeated, so it's, not, it's a little bit difficult to just go strictly verse by verse chronologically. So what we're going to attempt to do is kind of hit the themes and stick to the chronology of the themes as best we can. So look at uh, verses 1 through 5 first, and then 6 through 9 after that. Um, so the first theme there is, is one of the continuity of leadership in, uh, in verses 1 and 2. And there are a couple of phrases, that's, phrases that signify that despite a change in leadership, um, Yahweh is providing continuity um, for his people. The first is the, is the phrase, the death of Moses. So you think the people are very oral. They know um, intricately the history of, uh, of Israel. Israel. And, and so the death of Moses immediately signifies a couple of things to them. First, um, it's going to link this book to the books prior to that. So there's already a record of Joshua being named 
Moses' predecessor. So immediately it brings to mind that connection um, to the larger story. It also brings to mind the history of Israel, um, that there was a covenant made with Abraham a long time ago. Uh, There was an exodus, um, God delivering the people from Egypt, and there was some wandering in the desert for 40 years. So all these things uh, are kind of brought to mind by this idea of the death of Moses, or this phrase, the death of Moses. It also then signifies um, freedom to enter the promised land, because uh, Moses was told that he wouldn't enter the promised land. And so uh, alongside that history, or or right in line with it, um, it alerts the readers to the fact that Israel is moving from one phase of God's redemptive history uh, into the next. So for generations, they've lived in anticipation of the promised land. It's something that uh, was passed down from generation to generation, um, this promise that God had made, this covenant. And so now, finally, it's about to happen. Uh, another phrase that kind of that uh, demonstrates this continuity of leadership is, uh, is the one the Lord spoke to Joshua. Uh, and so Joshua, as Moses, carries God's authority and anointing moving forward. Um, this recognition is probably as much for the benefit of Israel as it is for Joshua. He's, he's been groomed, he's well aware of God's calling on his life. Um, but for years, the people have known Moses. They've known his leadership. They've come to trust his leadership. And they've trusted that, uh, that Moses heard from God and then acted accordingly on their behalf. And so now as they enter a new phase, uh, as they enter some unknowns, and as they enter what they know will be challenging times, they're asked to trust a new leader. And so the words the Lord spoke to, Mo- Moses, <laughs> the Lord spoke to Joshua sorry, um, communicates to them, that God's hand is still among them, that God still ultimately is the one that's leading his people. And it sounds simple enough, and so you think how we deal with change of, of people in our life, right? Like uh, if you've ever been in a church and the pastor changes or the youth minister leaves, or even at work, coworkers leave or a boss leaves, it's pretty easy just to get skeptical of whoever the new person is coming in. You don't know them. Uh, and so often that can be met with great opposition, even in the best of circumstances. Um, for Joshua, this commissioning signifies a new role uh, in his life and in his service to God. So he's moving from assisting Moses um, in leading the people to actually leading the people. And his narrative, his story, is about to change within the, uh, within the broader story of God's work in his people. Uh, so although Joshua is beginning a new role, the work he's stepping uh, into as part of a process that was started long ago. And I think there's, um, there's great relief in that, um, that ultimately this is God's story, and this is just a change in personnel, uh, but he's going to continue the work that he began. As you look through Joshua, and as, uh, as we consider even the, this introduction to the book, uh, it's important to remember that the story ultimately is God's, it's not Joshua. What happens in Joshua has far more to do with God than it does with Joshua as a leader. Um, God's story is always moving forward. His mission remains constant in the lives of his people. His plans are not thwarted. Um, They'll be carried out. They will be accomplished. And uh, and furthermore, this change in leadership is one that's prescribed by him as a means of demonstrating his character uh, and a a means by which he'll carry out his work in the life of Israel. The change abounds. The people change. Um, setting may change, the method may change, your role may change, but God's commitment to his mission does not change. He will see it through, uh, and we have that promise. Um, the faces in this room have changed over the years. 
The faces overseas have changed. Some of the ways that we do um, church and do missions and do ministry have changed. Um, for some of you, the setting has changed. You're in a different, uh, a different setting or a different stage of life. You weren't here um, a few years ago. Um, but God's work is consistent and it's constant. And he remains committed to the proclamation of his gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation and to ex- exalting himself among his people. And so our task as believers and as followers is to step, so to speak, into this meta narrative. So the idea that, it, I mean, the meta narrative is happening all along and we're part of it whether we want to or not, whether we want to be or not. But you get it, like, to willingly step in and be a part of the larger story and to realize the connection um, that our life has with, uh, with God's story. In verses 2 through 5, um, there's, there's a theme or I, this passage, passage is, is often referred to and is the commissioning of Joshua. So in that commissioning, um, the Lord gives Joshua a task and he makes a promise to go along with that. Um, in verses 2 through 5, uh, we see both the task and some assurances that God gives surrounding the task. So first we see the task, cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. Pretty succinct. Seems pretty easy at first glance. Just go to it. Uh, until you think that even crossing the Jordan was a feat in it of itself. It's, uh, the gorge is wide, it's deep, and the cliffs are steep. Uh, and so even just moving from where they were into the land that they were to conquer is a task in and of itself. Let alone uh, this band of people moving from city to city, um, conquering, conquering those cities. So it's a huge task. The task is uh, it's monumental, it's larger than Israel, and without a doubt, it's larger than the one man who's being commissioned to lead the people. Uh, as equipped as he may be, as prepared as he may be, uh, accomplishing this task on his own is beyond the ability of Joshua. It's impossible. Um, so it's because of what comes next that there's hope that the task can be com- completed. So you've got to love the fact that God gives him a task. That's kind of impossible. It can't be done. And so there are some, uh, these promises offer hope to Joshua that, that this task will happen. Now, the first promises, the first promise is that God will deliver the possession of the land into the hands of Israel. So it's this fulfillment, it's the fulfillment of a promise made long ago. So a long time ago, God said, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. I'm going to give you a new land and I will, I will make provision for that. So there will be action. Uh, required on the behalf of Israel, they'll have to fight, they'll have to toil, they'll have to endure difficulty, but it's going to ultimately be the Lord that accomplishes the work. And just as he delivered them out of the hands of Israel, just as he provided for them uh, during their wandering in the wilderness, wilderness, uh, it will be him that gives the land over to them. It will be him that um, delivers what he promised. So remember, this is God's story. It's not Joshua's. And regardless of his gifts, his preparation, his wisdom, or his natural ability, Joshua is incapable of completing the task. It will alone uh, be God that does it, not Joshua. The second promise is that of God's presence. The promise itself um, begins to hint that there's going to be opposition, if they didn't already suspect it. Um, But the promise is that that God will be present, he'll sustain them, and he'll bring them through um, this process each step of the way. It acknowledges that the task is significant, while communicating that it's going to be accomplished through the presence and the aid of God. Um, so both of these promises offer to Joshua and ultimately to the people of Israel hope and encouragement um, in the face of a daunting task. I'm a firm believer that, uh, that, a, 
the most worthy tasks are often the tasks that are the most difficult or the, the ones that, that stretch us the most. Uh, indeed, sometimes those that are beyond our reach in one way or another. There's a, a, a guy that writes a blog every day, and it's Seth Godin. Uh, and it, it has nothing to do with um, spiritual matters, I guess marketing and kind of leadership, but sometimes there are some gems in there. And he wrote several months ago, uh, Dig Yourself a Hole, Make Big Promises, Burn Your Boats, Set Yourself Up in a Place Where You Have Few Options and the Stakes Are High, Focused Energy and Serious Intent Will Push You to Do Your Best Work, You Have Nowhere to Run, Nowhere to Hide. And I think often we're guilty of insulating ourselves and we kind of hedge our bets um, because we want to make sure that we only undertake those things which we feel confident we can accomplish. Uh, so if we examine this kind of with the lens of, uh, of God's call in our life and with a spiritual mindset, uh, if we consider the kingdom, then we get to embrace the, the call of God on our life to do these impossible tasks, to join him in things that are bigger than us, that require more than we have to contribute, and sometimes seem downright foolish. Uh, I imagine several years ago, there were, uh, there were moments of stark reality where three families uh, felt foolish to move to Georgia and plan a church and to sustain that church for nine years in a bivocational manner. There may still be uh, moments where they think that's foolish. Um, to pick a spot in the globe, uh, a hostile environment, and to say that we, a church that's not established, that has no building, that has no budget, is going to make an impact and commit to the spreading of the gospel uh, in this unreached people. Um, it's kind of folly if you think about it. It makes no sense apart from God's calling uh, on our lives. So it's the pursuit of, the pursuit of these ends uh, in which we often see God's glory on display. Uh, so upon his completion and even in his sustaining of the task, um, he receives the glory and the faith of all involved is strengthened and increased. Have you ever thought um, that sometimes the work in which you're involved has it's hard to say far more, at least as much to do with God's work in your own life as it does the project in which you're involved. So you, you undertake something and you're like, oh, I'm doing this for whatever reason. I'm doing this to feed the homeless, to take care of orphans, to take care of widows, to spread the gospel to people that don't know, it, know about it. And, and in it you find that God teaches you things about himself that you didn't know and he stretches you and he pushes you. And you see him accomplishing things that you know are far beyond your own abilities. And he's glorified, and it happens in your life. Uh, so I think it, it's, in, it's interesting uh, the, way, the way that works out. But it only happens we're willing, when we're willing to say yes, yes to these tasks um, that are difficult and beyond us and are, are hard. Um, when we step into this story that's beyond us, our labor and our toil, um, we put forth great effort, but ultimately it's God that completes the work. So no matter how prepared you are, or gifted or equipped, uh, no matter how many people you know or how much influence you have, you're not up to the task of carrying God's mission. We can't sustain uh, this church. We can't sustain work in another country. We can't sustain the work of young moms. We can't sustain buddy break. We can't sustain, sustain ministering to the community. All of that is beyond us to do on our own. Isn't that good? I mean, that's so freeing that uh, the, the task that we're given, that we set out to do, we can't do it. it we're doomed from the start if, if we depend on our own ability. Uh, so what it does is it, it frees us up to trust God, 
to admit from the outset that we're incompetent, uh, that there will be stumbles along the way, there will be uh, missteps along the way, um, and that only Christ in us can produce any work worthy of the kingdom. When, uh, when Tanya and I started Higher Ground uh, four or so years ago, we had considered it being been a process building in our lives for a while. And I just, for years I kept running up against this objection that I'd, I don't know how to start something from nothing. I don't know how to start a nonprofit. There seems to be lots of paperwork involved with that. I don't know where clients are going to come from. I don't know where staff are going to come from. I don't have any money. I don't know how to raise money. I, I, I don't know what to do. I, it sounds neat. It sounds great. I would like to do it, uh, but I don't know how. And ultimately, uh, after much prodding, uh, after Tanya, God using Tanya in my ear and his foot against my backside, uh, we began to take steps. Uh, and you see that he provides each step of the way. Um, so I think this carries forward in any area of our life where we're concerned with the gospel. So I think our, the most common places we think are uh, in our work um, ministering under the banner of, of um, Three Rivers. But the reality is in any area of your life where you set to work for kingdom purposes, this makes sense. Uh, and we live such compartmentalized lives sometimes, I think it's hard uh, we say, this is my school life, this is my work life, this is my sh- social life, this is my church life. Uh, and to think that the things that we're hearing only apply in our church life. Uh, there, are no, there are no compartments. Those are man-made. So when you set out to work uh, in whatever your career is, and you do that for the glory of God, then you're, you're able, indeed you're tasked, with taking on more than you can choose. So that he is glorified ultimately uh, in all areas of our life. There are, there are two commands moving into verses um, 6 and 9. So we see this continuity of leadership. Uh, we see the task and we see some promises that accompany this task. Uh, in verses 6 and 9, there are some commands given along with this task and encouragement to Joshua. Um, the first uh, is for Joshua to be strong and courageous. And the second for it is for him to obey the law. So uh, at first glance, you think, <clears throat> okay, um, God is giving the land to, to the people of Israel. Uh, it's not their work that's going to accomplish it. It's been promised a long time ago. Kind of what's the point? Why is there the encouragement or the admonishment to be strong and courageous uh, if God is going to give them to it, to give the land to them? Um, well, first it's because that God knows that Joshua and the people of Israel need this encouragement. Because in Numbers 14, when the spies came back to Moses, they were terrified of what they had seen. They thought there's no way that we can move into this land and conquer it. Uh, and so there's this history um, that's built into Israel. It's been passed down uh, even through the generations. And, and God knows my people need some encouragement. So the encouragement, uh, the admonishment to be strong and courageous. Um, secondly, it begins uh, or further communicates an assumption of difficulty. Uh, in other words, God's saying don't be caught off guard when this is hard. I'm giving you the land, but it's going to be difficult. There will be trials. Uh, there will be um, difficulties, and indeed, you're going to meet great resistance. Uh, so the reality of trial and hardship don't mean that things have gone wrong. Uh, you, can, you can move forward. The going is going to be tough, um, but be strong and courageous and, and follow me in this. Uh, often on, uh, on 
some of our trips, I guess, I won't say all of them, uh, with higher ground, particularly on a certain set of backpacking trips, we get kids and it's the hardest thing they've ever done physically, um, the days of hiking that we have. Not to say that the days are that hard, maybe it's just to say that they play PlayStation a lot, I don't know. Um, but we found that the best way to approach it with them at the beginning of the day is to say, guys, this is going to be hard. For some of you, you're going to want to stop. You're not going to think you can make it, uh, and you're not going to be having fun by the end of the day. But persevere, push forward. We're going to work together. At the end of the day, we're going to get there. It makes no sense to, to lie to them or offer them false hope uh, and tell them that's going to be easy. Um, the best thing that we can do is say, here's our task. It's going to be hard. Um, let's move forward and, and begin to address it. Um, and we do this in all areas of life, all sorts of areas. We, we undertake um, tasks that we know to be difficult from the outset, and we do it nonetheless uh, for some reason of, of enjoyment. So uh, I won't say all. Uh, most people going into parenthood know that it's going to be difficult at times, um, but that the trade-off is worth it and you move through things. Um, going through school and starting careers it's definitely there's a, there's assumed difficulty, and I don't think it catches people off guard when they have to work um, to pursue those ends. Even in hobbies, something like starting a, growing a garden, you know that it's going to take um, toil and effort and, and consistent work to reap the benefits of that. Um, I enjoy suffering on a bike, and and I can do that, and it's fun, and <clears throat> I don't know why it, it's it's not it is suffering and it's hard, but it's something that I do willingly enjoy enjoy that um, but somehow when it comes to matters that are more significant or more important we're just weak um we we encounter difficulty and we just throw our hands up and say why i'm so tired of this i'm so frustrated i i just want things to go smoothly and easily uh and god's saying here be strong and courageous because this is going to be difficult uh it's going to be hard he, in fact, he says it three times, and if you read, I think you can sense a little bit uh, of nuance in the tone each time. The first time is kind of straightforward. Uh, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Uh, you will lead these people. Um, the second time, it, I, I don't know, I imagine it's as if he's saying, are you getting this, Joshua? Like, Make sure you hear what I'm saying. Um, be strong and courageous. Uh, and then I'm gonna, he follows that with some instruction um, to be obedient, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a, mi- a minute. And then the last uh, part of this passage in verse 9, one last time, he says, be strong and courageous. And there's an exhortation this time that comes with it. Don't be frightened or dismayed, as if to, as if to say, uh, Joshua, there's going to be times that you will be discouraged. There's going to be times that you want to quit. Be strong and courageous and persevere in this task. Uh, those two... At the end there in verse 9, um, those caveats, do not fear, do not be dismayed. I, I don't know if this has been true for you. It certainly has uh, for me that fear and discouragement can be such tools of the enemy uh, in our lives as we, uh, as we relate to, to Christ. Um, because both of them can be distractions from our work uh, in the kingdom and our relationship with God. Discouragement, we begin to be frustrated um, for whatever reason. And we, we, we began to think things like, this isn't worth it. I'm the only one putting forth any effort. No one comes to, you know, to whatever we're doing or, or I don't see results. Um, and it starts to creep in. 
and pretty soon you're just kind of discouraged and you don't feel like you don't feel like it's worth moving on uh, or fear if we allow it to creep in it reaps the same results um, I have a huge fear of failure uh, and and I have to watch it because it keeps me from undertaking things i, I don't want to i don't want to begin something if i'm afraid that i will fail uh or, or won't be able to finish uh and so i'm left kind of battling this uh this thought in my head and meanwhile i'm just kind of sitting idle in my my work with god um <clears throat> we we just higher ground just got an office and uh it's exciting it's fun but i'm scared to death because it's another bill that we have to pay and that's money is about uh, that's probably where it comes down to. I, I'm, I get fearful. That's a big one of mine. Uh, and it's a fear of failure, but also it's a fear uh, of lack of provision. It's a huge lack of trust on my part um, that God's going to continue to take care of us. But what happens is you become so consumed with whatever the fear is uh, that you're just sitting dead in the water. You're not doing uh, anything. You're not moving forward. The task at hand is still there waiting to be accomplished. Um, and we're just kind of piddling around. I think it's interesting in uh, in life, in the work that uh, that I do, and even kind of if you think when, in relationship to kids, when people are scared, we often tell them, "It's okay. It's okay to be scared. That's normal." But here's here's what you do anyway. You keep moving forward. Um, you can be scared of this, but do these things instead, or, or in spite of the fear. And I love that God goes a step further and he says, don't even be afraid. You don't even have to be scared. He says, I'm with you. You can. You can be strong and courageous. That should be all. Uh, so with this, um, with this command to be strong and courageous also comes a command to be obedient. And in verses 7 and 8, uh, after the second time he's told to be strong and courageous, Joshua is reminded of the, ne- uh, the necessity of obedience to God's commands. He's told, it's said several different ways. He's told to obey the law. He's told, do not turn to the right or the left. He's told that the law should not depart from his mouth, that he should meditate on it day and night. And that he ought to be careful to do all that is written in it. Uh, and if you do those things, in so doing, you will have success and your way will be prosperous. So there are two, immediately there are two false conclusions you can draw. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Uh, I think most people here get this. But the first is that obedience is a formula to success. That this is an if-then equation. If you are, if you are obedient, then these results will happen. It's just not the case. I'm not going to elaborate anymore. If you if you struggle with that, let's talk later. Um, the second, and I think it even uh, needs less expounding, is that um, success and prosperity here equate to material um, riches and blessings. So while some folks could have a field day um, proof, text, proof texting these verses, it would be a misrepresentation of what's said. In fact, the Hebrew word there for prosper uh, means to be prudent or to have success and hearing and being guided by God. And what more does Joshua need than to be successful in hearing uh, and being guided by God? Ultimately, that's, uh, that is success for him. So let's look a bit deeper at, at the charge of obedience. And this is an example where if you consider the whole of the book of Joshua, 
you see that, um, that there are at least two ways that obedience is lived out uh, in this story. The first is that obedience um, is related to a specific, a specific task. And, and that with Joshua, your task is to lead these people um, to, into the conquest of this land. And so it was essential that Joshua be, be obedient and ensure that he was hearing from God and that he was being gui- guided by God uh, in his leadership of the people. Have you ever had uh, things come up, some situation which you immediately feel the need um, of God's direction, but it comes at a time when you haven't necessarily been as disciplined uh, and you haven't, you don't feel as close to him and you're just like, oh shoot. And you just immediately wish that for the previous six months you could have been a faithful follower of Christ so that when this big thing came up, you would very easily and naturally know this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I proceed. But the reality is you can't cram uh, obedience into an all-night prayer session or to a, you know, a week-long um, intensive search for, for what you want. Joshua needed to be obedient uh, each step of the way so that as God related to him and gave him instruction, he would hear it and know it clearly. Uh, and I think that, that is true in our lives as well. Um, there's a second kind of more communal aspect uh, of obedience here. And if you look ahead in chapter 7 of Joshua, um, we commonly just refer to it as Achan's sin. And what happened is um, during a battle, uh, there were some there were very specific things that the people were prescribed to do. And as they took the spoils of the city that they conquered, uh, there were some things they could keep and some things they weren't. And Achan decided he would keep some of the things that he wasn't supposed to keep, some items under the ban, as it's called. Uh, And as a result, the people of Israel lost in their next battle. They were defeated. And they were kind of taken back by that because they had been promised success. uh, And it wasn't until after they had been defeated that they found out it was the sin. um, The sin was was the reason that they had failed. And so what seemed as a very, I'm sure, insignificant uh, thing to Achan ended up costing uh, the community and, and harmed the whole uh, the whole people of Israel. Uh, I'm sure for him to think among these mass uh, this massive riches and wealth is it really a big deal if I take a couple of things like no harm no foul it doesn't hurt the people of Israel at all um, but the the reality is that God calls us to obedience. Uh, in all the things, in the big things and then the so-called little things that we um, can easily gloss over and move past. Um, that reality of uh, the call to obedience is a strong one. Um, and I think it, we see in this passage uh, the strength of that, of that call in that it's communicated in so many different ways. Uh, do not deviate, meditate, be careful to obey. All of this drives home the importance of obedience uh, in the great things and in the so-called small things. Uh, I think there's a third way that, that we can view obedience in this passage. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll just acknowledge at the outset that I want to be careful here. And I don't think I'm taking more license than I should with this passage. But if it seems off to you, then just disregard it and tell me later and we'll move forward. So this is at least food for thought. Uh, and I'll put that caveat out there um, as as we say, and, and that is to, to look at obedience in this way. Um, that obedience 
uh, that success, rather, is determined by, to, by obedience. Not to say that obedience results in success, but that obedience is success. So put another way, um, success is defined as obedience and not by whatever results may or may not come. Does that make sense? Uh, so God calls us to tasks. Um, and what we need to do is be, be obedient. We don't, need to, we don't need to worry about the results and whether or not we can accomplish the results. Our task is to follow him in whatever endeavor he calls. We, we, you combine that with the truth that it's God that accomplishes the work, then it's a, a pretty freeing proposition uh, to know that we can trust him, we can obediently follow, obediently follow where he leads, and we can rest in the fact that what comes next is of his design, whether it looks like success in our eyes or not. Uh, if for some reason this church were not to exist five years from now, does it mean that it was a failure? No. Up to now, we've been obedient uh, in taking steps as God has, has provided. If we were to be kicked out of the country where we work, does it mean that we were failures? No. It means that God has another story there. He has something else for us. He has something else for them. Uh, and it's the turns of his story. The success for us is in taking the step, is, is in obedience. Um, there's a, I like coffee a lot. It's probably, I mean, probably more than I should. I like coffee. Uh, so if you do, then you probably know that the coffee shop downtown is closing. And it's with great sadness that that happens to me. Um, but I began to think um, about that particular place in light of this, um, this view of obedience over the last couple of weeks. And so uh, over the, the last nine months, I've gotten to know the owner of the store a little bit. Uh, and in, very clearly, her ambition in opening a coffee shop, uh, obviously she wanted to make money and sustain a business. But beyond that, she wanted to create uh, a place of peace and a place that was welcoming to people, a place where families could hang out, a place of retreat. Uh, and so her... Her mindset from the beginning was a kingdom mindset in opening um, this business. Despite the fact that it wasn't billed under that banner, that she didn't hang a flag out and say that this is a Christian coffee shop, that was her intent. Uh, and as she said, um, she felt obedient in stepping through uh, an open door and following an opportunity that was presented to her. So nine months later, the doors are closing. And we can either view that as a miserable failure uh, or as something that was successful. Uh, so obviously, an inability to sustain that business, uh, there's some degree of commercial failure in that. Um, but in the bigger picture, perhaps it's not a failure at all. Um, because Allison was faithful to God's prompting. Um, she was willing to engage others through um, this business for the sake of the kingdom. She was willing to take huge um, personal risk to do that. And so, what now? I, I don't know. I know that uh, God will show something different for her. He'll, he'll provide for her and he'll present something um, new for her to move on to. And in uh, the past nine months, and as he uh, takes care of her moving forward, she will no doubt um, learn lessons uh, in her relationship with Christ. She's no doubt been, um, she's made friendships and relationships uh, that will move forward with her. So, yeah, all that to say, obedience has taken a step. 
success, sorry, success rather, is taking a step in obedience, uh, not in achieving results. Uh, and I think that, again, is a, is a very freeing proposition. Uh, kind of a final promise that, uh, that we see in verse 9 is this. The passage closes, uh, again, on the heels of, uh, of God telling Joshua to be strong and courageous. Um, closes with this reminder that God's presence will be with him. Um, this presence of God is what sustains us. And the conquest ahead and the challenge to be strong and courageous and the command to be obedient, it's God's presence that will provide what you need um, to carry out the task. Uh, it's a promise that's repeated over and over throughout Scripture, um, so much so that it can begin, begin to sound common um, to our ears. And let it never be common to us. Um, the never-ending presence of God in our lives ought to be an unending source of comfort to us. Um, there's no hardship which we will endure alone. There's no task for the kingdom which we're left to complete of our own ability. Uh, and it's His presence in our lives that makes possible all that He asks of, asks of us. Uh, that's enormous. So as, uh, as we conclude, my hope is that, uh, that you're encouraged and that you feel free to move forward uh, in areas where God calls you to join Him in work, and that you're encouraged and challenged to make sure that your story is connected with God's larger story and His redemptive work, and that you feel free to follow after God in obedience, um, joining Him in endeavors that are bigger than you and that seem foolish at the outset, uh, and that in all things, the presence of God will give you comfort and peace as you move, move forward in those things. Uh, so let's pray. and. Uh, what will be done. God, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the, the task that you call us to, that you call us to big things that are, um, that are beyond us, things which we're unable to accomplish on our own. And I pray that you'd give us a heart for those things, that you would allow us to trust you um, to provide, trust you to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. I pray that your presence um, and your promise would give us a great freedom moving forward. I pray that you would allow us to be part of um, big things for the sake of the kingdom. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.